Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On today's episode, I am joined by Joel Turner of Shot IQ. Joel is he's great at a lot of things, but he's come up with a way of how to fix target panic for shooters of all weapons, whether that's bow hunters, whether that's rifle hunters, whether that's pistol shooters, and it doesn't require buying any gear. Joel talks about why target panic happens, subconscious aiming, the mental control systems, shot activation techniques, and how to execute the perfect shot on a hunt, and much more. This episode is brought to you by Onyx, and the Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a working GPS. Onyx was founded on the land ownership detail on the map, and I find myself using that quite a bit to find overlooked hunting spots. Whether it's in the east or the west, you can find some overlooked pieces of public by getting behind the private, which probably has a good food source too. If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app for yourself, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW to save 20%. Tethered is a company that is founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. I'm currently using the Phantom Saddle System with the Predator platform on all my mobile hunts. And the recliner accessory is a must-have if you're trying to make your all-day sits extremely comfortable. So to learn more about Tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is uh, building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are backed with a lifetime no-fall warranty and an incredible customer experience. So I'm currently using the Maven B3 8x30 binos in all of my eastern hunts. They're small, lightweight, it makes them easy to keep around your neck for shed hunting, turkey hunting, scouting, and hunting out of my saddle. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. And I actually just uploaded a YouTube video um, on my channel, which is Bo Martonic, and it's all about how to choose the correct optics for whitetail hunters and it breaks down you know what you should kind of look for and how how to determine you know what's the right size glass for you all that stuff and then i show show a little bit the the b3 8x30s i just talked about so you can find that over on my youtube channel and there will be a blog on maven's website that goes along with that maybe even out uh, today i'm not sure i think it's supposed to release today and then last but not least, Spartan Forge. So the Spartan Forge outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research. They're using science rather than someone's opinion to figure out the movement for your specific hunting area. You can use the code East Meets West to save 25% off the outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. And if you make sure to sign up now, you'll be locked into the price. 
before the new app releases and that price rises. So if you pay the price that it is now, you're locked into that for good. You won't have to pay any increases. It's a pretty solid deal. So check that out. On this week's Mountain Buck Story of the Week, or otherwise known as Mountain Buck Monday on social media, this story comes from Clayton Blow. Clayton says that, My buddy and I did some map scouting the night before the second day of the West Virginia rifle season and decided on checking out a big secluded ridge. We both still hunted opposite sides of the ridge, and our idea was to either get a shot at a buck or hopefully bump them back and forth to each other. I came to a spot where I could see a decent ways down the side hill and bumped what I could tell was two bucks, one shooter, and three does. So I texted my buddy and told him to drop below a subtle finger ridge and take that elevation the whole way around so he either could cut them off and get a shot or bring them back around to me. So I got into a position where I thought the deer would escape and come through. And about an hour later, this buck was bumped by my buddy and came up through the terrain feature that I figured deer would come through and I made the shot. This was an awesome experience to pick a spot on the map and make it happen on an out-of-state trip. And I think that's this story from Clayton is, is pretty awesome. You know, going to a different state, out-of-state, scouting on the map, going in and, and getting it done there on that first day is is pretty awesome. I got some photos up over on, on Instagram. Beautiful buck, packed it out. That's a story that uh, I'm sure that he will not forget. So definitely submit your Mountain Buck Monday stories um, to me, and I'll be sure to share them. And just an FYI, I do have quite a few in the backlog. So if it takes a while for me to, to share them, I didn't forget about you. I will share them. It just takes a little bit to, to get through them there. And as I mentioned, um, the new YouTube video and blog, um, that they're up now, so you can check that out. Just head over to my YouTube channel and take a look at that about the best binoculars for whitetail hunters. And in other news i guess this past weekend was the pennsylvania turkey opener so i went out um friday night try to locate some birds it was so windy you couldn't hear a thing but in that so as soon as i realized i wasn't gonna be able to hear anything i started shed hunting and it was an area that that i was deer hunting quite a bit so i started just looking around i had found a really nice side to this i think it's a four and a half year old deer and so I started looking for the other side and I'd covered a lot of it and gridded the area. And there's this patch of hemlocks that was kind of, I kind of overlooked that I walked pretty close to this spot. I mean, probably even 40 yards, but it's really thick. And I just covered this little piece there and I found the other side of that shed. So it's probably about 500 yards apart from the first one. And it's a good 135 to 140 inch nine point. Have a lot of photos and videos of this deer. Excited to see what he turns into this year. So went out Saturday turkey hunting, got to my spot and at this gate I park at, there's a, a camp there and I never see anybody there. But on this day, apparently everybody's coming up turkey hunt because there was four trucks parked at the camp. And I was like, well, I don't know if they're out or not, but I don't want to risk screwing something up for them. They're there. So I was like, all right, I'll move to a different area. So at that point, I felt a little bit rushed, but I found a spot down the road. 
I had never walked into this spot before, but it was on the edge of my hunting area. And I was like, oh, I'll use it to try to find a bird and just do some more deer scouting. So I went in, I covered nine miles and never heard a gobble. <laughs> so, uh, it is what it is. It was, a uh, it was a good, good hike. Got to learn the area some more, learn the extended area from where I've already been hunting. And, um, but didn't turn anything up. I'll see if I can get out here before work a couple days this week. I'm not um, real hopeful I'll be able to make that happen. Been working a lot, but I'm going to try to see if I can make that happen. So if you ha- if you were out for the Pennsylvania Open or any other turkey seasons, I hope you're having you know some more luck than I am. But uh, I think you'll really enjoy this podcast with Joel. So I met Joel at Elk Shape Camp a few weeks ago down uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and he... I've been following along with his stuff for quite a while. Now I have a membership to his online course and, and he, he's single handedly is definitely the, the most helpful I've found when it comes to target panic. I think every hunter deals with it. You'll hear, you'll hear Joel talk about it, but it's sounds so simple. His, his thought process behind it, but it's not that simple to, to make happen. And that's where you'll hear Joel talk all about it. But I think that anybody, whether you're a Western hunter, a whitetail hunter, deal with buck fever, all these things can really, really benefit from this episode. So I'm excited to, to get Joel on here and talk and enjoy. All right, we're live. Joel Turner. What's going on, buddy? All right, pal. I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Just uh, enjoying the spring weather here in Pennsylvania. What about yeah, you? Yeah, it was a nice, nice day today here too. It was a little windy, but uh, it's good concentration practice, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the first day down there in Lancaster when we were yeah. down there shooting at the steel target with uh, with the winds that were pretty pretty high at that right. point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I saw you had just gotten back from uh, another elk shape camp here recently. Yeah, we did another one in Denver. It was really cool. Yeah, those, those camps are so much, so much fun. I mean, I only been to the one, but it, it just, it's a blast hanging out with everybody and just, yeah, it's all, it's a good time. Yeah, it was the third one that I'd done, and and uh, we had me and Dirk there for some of the calling stuff and. Dirk Durham, the bugler, you know, I've, I've never actually, cause back when I competed, I mean, I competed from 2005 to 2014 and Dirk was always there at the competitions, but I mean, he was real quiet, but if you can imagine that yeah. like now he's the social media star and all this stuff, but back then, man, he didn't talk at all. So, uh, I've never actually sat down with Dirk and it, and you know, discussed our elk calling techniques, but it was really cool. And like is normal, it's the same stuff, you know, just people approach a little bit differently, but man, it's the same stuff. All the, all the really good callers do it in a very specific way. So people should pay attention to that for sure. Interesting. I I was going to ask if, if you guys had like really different styles or techniques or anything there, because Dan typically likes to try to take people that are completely opposite and make them kind of clash and talking about it, but. Right. But it's, you know, elk or elk elk. I mean, just like humans. So I got up there first and talked about my whole, how I do it and how I humanize elk calling. And I had never heard Dirk 
talk about it before. And so it was really cool. I did mine first and then we had lunch and then Dirk went and it was the same stuff. So it was really cool to uh, be able to compliment each other on that. And, and uh, it was good stuff. Oh, that's cool. And especially since you guys didn't know each other going into it or, you know, kind of. Well, I mean, we, we knew each other. I mean, we've competed in elk calling competitions for years, but, you know, we've never really sat down. And, and I knew that Dirk had contacted me a couple of years ago dealing with, with some target panic issue stuff. And uh, since that time, you know, he hurt his shoulder and had to shoot with a mouth tab and, and. I, I think all those things made him a bit more conscious because when I got a hold of him for his shock control stuff, he was pretty, pretty on point. And that was one thing that I wanted to bring up talking to Dirk, you know, when you, I mean, I interview hundreds of people, right? Snipers, you know, gunfighters, successful bow hunters, successful rifle hunters. And there is a pattern of success. And that is talking to yourself during your shot. And what you'll find is that all these people that I interview, they all say something to themselves. They all say something different, but it's all said usually in that critical second, right after the aim. And that's, that's the most important thing. The problem is many of these people don't realize that they do it. And, and then they don't really, they're not able to harness the power of it, right? Like saying things to yourself at specific moments in your shot is pivotal to your success. And, uh, you know, some of them may be embarrassed at what they say, or they don't realize they say it, but they say it every time. And that's the pattern of success. None of these people do are successful blank minded. That's for damn sure. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's definitely something that I learned for sure from, from you did at the elk shape camp. And I've heard your, you on podcasts and stuff before and, and everything. And it's, it is amazing. Like I've been, since I was at that camp with you every day when I'm before work, I go down and I do a workout in my basement and then I shoot a few arrows, just, just a few arrows and, and, you know, in between sets of what I'm doing or whatever. And I just, every time try to go through the exact same, pro- not try, I do go through the same yeah, process yeah, every single time. Yeah, and I just, <laughs> I just got done shooting with a guy and he was having some issues. He'd been through the online course and he was almost there, but he was missing a couple things. Like what release were you shooting? I can't remember. <laughs> the knock to it. Okay. So whether it's, here, here's a big tip for your listeners. When you're figuring out what movement you are going to do on whatever release you shoot, okay, think of it as this. This is your baseline. You cannot move the head of the release. Be it that a, that might be a hook, it may be a gate, it may be, you know, jaws that open, whatever. The head of the release cannot move in space. So if you are collapsing, the head of the release is going forward. If you're adding back tension and you're taking the release with you, you are moving the head of the release and you're increasing the tension. Therefore, your arrows will not hit in the same place. So whatever movement you decide to do on whatever release it is, you have to make sure that the head of the release stays locked in space. And all of your movements, if you're going to use back tension, it has to equate to hand movement like maybe on your thumb button, you're stretching your hand. Remember that I taught you guys to do that? Yep, yep. Maybe stretching your hand. But if you stretch your hand, it's your hand that's moving, 
not the release, right? For all those index finger trigger shooters out there, when you hook your finger around the release, if you don't let your other fingers off the release, then you're pulling the hit, you're pulling the whole release with you and not necessarily the trigger. That's why you get your fingers off of the release and you just hook around it with your finger. And then it's the stretch of your hand basically in the strap, but the head stays still in space, right? Yep. So, so when you're trying to figure out a shot activation movement, whatever the release is, you just can't move the head of it. And yeah, that, that that was the one of the one of the things that I had no idea as far as how to actually activate. You know, I've heard you know use back tension, do this, do that, but never how to actually do it. You know, I was thinking I was doing something right until you got there and you were up in my face and hit me with your arrow, <laughs> and right. you're like, just relax that hand and do it. And you know, and I cognitively think about that every time that when I'm going up, making sure that I'm doing that the correct way. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty awesome. I I did, I did some shooting over the weekend. I had a guy in to film some of these scouting courses that I'm doing and, and he, uh, and we're putting together this mule deer film for this year. And in preparation for that, I was doing some shooting, um, in front of the video camera there and which adds, you know, some stress and, you know, he's, He's right there, and and I felt good going through it, and it just it makes you love shooting when you're shooting sure. correctly and doing it in with control, the right, right? Yeah, in control. And that's another thing with this guy is we, you know, he had his sequence slightly off. So for hinge shooters out there, it's not a back tension release. Get that out of your head. It has to hinge for it to go off, right? So, and some people use a click, some people don't use a click. I highly recommend that you use a click in that because the click is a decision point, right? So you draw back and aim first, then you consciously move to the click and it can be open loop, right? You just roll your hand to the click and then here I go, right? Get yourself through that critical second and then you talk yourself through it. And he had that sequence a bit out, but when we were going around the course today, it was, I'll try to do this. I'll try to do that. I'm like, look, man, <laughs> shot control is not something that you try to do. Either you do it or you practice your own failure. Yep. You choose, right? Your shot, you have opportunities in a shot to make yourself exponentially better, or you're literally practicing your own failure in a high stress shooting event. Yep. So it's, you know, that's the decision. That's, that's how important it is to control your shot. You know, and and I will. I, we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I need to introduce okay. you a little bit here, but you I got to be careful, man, because I'll just keep rolling. I know, and I do the same thing. And but that's why when when I got you on the line, why I didn't spend too much time talking to you ahead of time before I hit record, yeah. because right. otherwise I end up we get into deep conversation yeah. and I miss yeah. a lot of good stuff. So that's why I, I wasn't yeah, being yeah. rude. That's why I did that. But uh, no, <laughs> um, but I did notice, like when you're saying about practice your failures, one of the things that that I've realized was in my steps i was missing that that second step basically when i'm drawing like that so i was getting the you know i step up to the line and again i'm getting ahead of myself but i'm going to say it anyways you know saying i'm going to make a perfect shot and then when i draw back i wasn't saying anything until i was aiming and if i remember right you were talking about you know as you're drawing back you know the 
you know, having some sort of a sequence in your head. And then once I get it, my pin on there, you know, saying, here we go. Once I aim and then going through the pull, 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 but. So even, even more specifically, draw back and aim, get it done. Right. And then put your thumb on the button and climb into it how you want. And then here I go. And then talk yourself through the movement because, you know, for those people that are locked off target, their aim means everything to them and they don't have any way to separate from it. And that's what here I go does. Even putting your thumb on the button should separate you from the aim. And this analogy that I, I keep working with, I mean, I know I told you this guy about opening doors, right? Well, imagine a shot as you're standing on the porch of the shot control house. You ain't in the house yet. Right. So making that original decision, I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. That opens the door to the house. Right. Now you can step inside the house, but the first room that you come to is the aiming room. Just walk right through it. Right. Get into the aiming room, set your pin where you need it. And then when you put your thumb on the button, that starts to close the door to the aiming room. But here I go closes the door on the aiming room and opens the door to the concentration room, right? So you're working through the house of shot control. You got to open doors, you got to close doors. So that's what these decisions do for us. So when you make it sequential like that, like when I see all these people shooting whitetails in the, out of the tree stands or ground blinds or on the ground in a ghillie suit, however you choose to do it, the shot is no different, but I see all these guys blending right? They're blending the aim with the trigger work. Therefore, they're punching the crap out of the trigger and they're shooting these bucks in the guts in, you know, at 15 yards. But it's only because they've practiced their own failure over and over again. And then when it comes to that moment of truth, they prove it to themselves that they have and they fail again, right? In the ultimate, ultimate challenge. Yep. I've been there. I'm not going to lie. I think just about anybody has We've all, oh, absolutely. We've all been there, but the difference between, you know, you moving on from that and actually controlling your shot is learning how to make decisions. Like, I don't know if you saw that post I just put out, but I like this morning, I did a polar plunge, right? I, I walked into the river slowly. I put my ass in that water slowly. And then I fully submerged myself. I'm making decisions to do a movement that's going to cause my body impact right? Yeah. So who knew that a polar plunge could be such amazing shooting practice, right? It's the same thing. It's a conscious override of your central nervous system. <laughs> I I have not, I I didn't see that post yet, but I'm going to have to go back and yeah, check and, it out man. and look at it. What back in, I think it was like in 2016, I was working for an archery shop and I would and we were a sick gear dealer and I wanted to, that was right when Barclow started coming out with this stuff about cold weather training and, and you know, the whole rewarming drill. I was like, I'm going to do this and we're going to make a video to show uh-huh. people at the shop. So I went into a pond that was like frozen over and uh-huh. went into it and, and sat down in the wa- at water. Yeah. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> 
it makes shooting so much easier. I mean, it's the same decision, but to <laughs> actually work a trigger slow enough, you can stop it to create an explosion. That's a hell of a lot easier than dipping your ass in a river. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, yeah. well, Joel, let's let's take a step back and introduce yeah. yourself. Who who is Joel Turner? <laughs> well, Joel Turner was shot IQ and 44 years old and i did not gain control of my shot like total control of my shot until 2014 and i started shooting a bow when i was seven just slinging arrows right loving it became a teenager slinging arrows not good missing bull elk like i mean ridiculous amounts of bull elk and uh became a two-time world elk calling champion so it was not the calling was the problem. It was the keeping myself under control. So in those years, I had very few successes and oodles of failures, right? And it wasn't until that day, December 14th, 2014, that I actually gained control of my shot, looked back at my successes, figured out that it was the decisions that were missing, right? So I'm a police officer. I've been a cop for 20 years now, uh, sniper team leader on a SWAT team for 18 years, um, been in some fairly high stress events and vetted everything that I've ever taught. And that's, uh, it's pretty cool stuff. It's, I mean, literally cracked the code to shot control and created shot IQ and control process shooting just to have a medium to get this word out to people because I mean, literally, mankind has been looking for this information since we started shooting bows and arrows. So you you know it's it's funny because uh, there there's so many things you if you type in target panic on a Google search, you will find so many articles, so many things, so many gadgets, so many tools, so many things to do to to cure it. But what I what I've learned from working with you a little bit and talking to you is that it's so much simpler than, you know, there's, it's not as complicated as you think, but it's a decision point. And, and mm -hmm. what, what, um, what, what, what interests me is how, how you kind of came to that conclusion. Like, how did, mm -hmm. how did you find that? I know you said through years of, you know, doing this stuff and figuring out what analyzing your successes, but how did it come to, this is my mind that's controlling that and then developing it into what you're doing currently? Well, I was, I mean, growing up, if you gave me a 22 or an air rifle, unstoppable, right? I mean, just love shooting, was good at it. It was easy, but you put a center fire rifle in my hands, worthless, absolutely worthless. I was, I would, I would yank that trigger the instant it got on hair of a coyote, a deer, whatever it was. So I wasn't a good shot. And of course I wanted to be a good shot because hunting and shooting was my life. Right. And so, I mean, up to the point where I became a police officer and went to the Academy and wanted to do super well in firearms and I was doing good in firearms, but not quite there yet. And it was funny because my buddy who I went in the academy with was having trouble, man. He was shooting a Glock and just yanking the crap out of the trigger. So in the middle of, in the middle of the academy, because I was shooting decent, they allowed me to switch guns. So I actually sold my pistol 
that I was shooting, which was a 1911 with a double action trigger. It was this old uh, pair of ordnance. And so I sold that to him so that he could pass the test. I bought a new 1911, uh, which has got a really short trigger, you know, span in it. So I shot it better. And, but what I was starting to realize was all I needed to do was stay in that trigger press, right? The aiming was kind of taking care of itself. I mean, yeah, it moved, but it wasn't this thing that all the instructors told me it was, you know, I didn't have to focus on the front side. I didn't have to keep it in the middle of the notch because it kind of stayed there by itself. And so I started to think more and more about the trigger press. And by the end of the academy, I started to figure some stuff out. And I took top firearms in the academy. And then I took that to my, uh, my rifle shot, basically. And I'm like, huh, okay. So now if I concentrate on the trigger press, I can, you know, I can stay in that trigger press and I can shoot it as a surprise break. As everybody always told me, oh, you want to make it a surprise, right? Well, nobody ever told me how in the hell to do that. Yeah. And so then two years into being a cop, I became a firearms instructor because I loved it and I knew I wanted to be an instructor. So that was the one day that, that I was working with this kid in the, in the academy that was an instructor at the academy. And he was just yanking the trigger so bad that the target was at 20 and he's hitting the floor at 15. Right. So I'm thinking, Oh my God how am I going to get this kid to work his trigger? So I remember very specifically talking him through that and started with, okay, aim at the target. Are you aimed? Yes, sir. Okay. I want you to take the slack out of the trigger, but don't make the gun go off. So I saw his finger move to the pressure wall. And then I'm like, okay, I want you to start pressing the trigger, but don't make the gun go off. And as soon as I started to see the squish in his finger, I saw that trigger move just slightly. I'm like, okay, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. And I'm watching his finger move in the exact rhythm that I'm talking. And so finally, I just talked him all the way through it. And he shot the round as a surprise. And it went through the center of the tin ring. And that was my light bulb moment. That's what set me on the path of research on how in the hell did I do that? Right. And it was about, you know, figuring out what is neurolinguistic programming? How do we use words? What do words mean? You know, like words are nothing more than attentional cues. That's the route to concentration. And then I started, I wrote a whole thing called the mental mechanics of shooting and instructor's guide. And I had very vetted instructors read it because they'd always been yelling front sight, front sight, front sight. When they knew deep down inside, the front sight was not the problem. It was not an aiming error. It was because the recruits were yanking the crap out of the trigger, right? And they didn't know how to stop that. And, you know, through the, the ages of firearms instruction, nobody had figured that out. And it's only because they were skipping over what we now know is the core problem in shooting. And that is your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. If it can time the explosion, it will time the explosion. And it will do that by linking pre-ignition movements to the trigger motor program. So when you yank the trigger, there's all kinds of other muscle contractions that happen that deviate your point of impact, right? So 
it just kept going on and on. I was doing more and more research into, you know, concepts in motor learning and performance and kinesthesiology. And what I did is I took the science when I learned it, I took the science and I meshed it with my experiences. And that's where control process shooting was born. And once that was born, and even though it was still in its infancy, I was still too hung up on the words and all this stuff as far as you have to concentrate by talking and all this. But what I didn't realize was the fail point. The fail point of most human beings is they don't have enough determination to step into the shock control house, right? And once they, if they do have enough determination, they have to know what to do with that. They have to know what decisions they need to make when they need to make them and then how to carry them out. Right. So finding these fail points was key. Finding my own fail points was really key. And that was like December 14th, 2014. That's the day that I shot that big buck in the heart. Didn't, but it was not a controlled shot. And I sat in that tree stand in the rain and in the dark until I figured it out. And luckily I'd had a couple of successes a few years earlier and I was able to remember the difference between those two shots and all the rest of them throughout my life. And those two shots had decisions made, right? And they had those decisions made at very specific moments. And so that's what really got me to blueprint my controlled shot and be able to teach it to everybody else. And that's, it is freaking powerful to know how you're going to shoot every shot for the rest of your life. So there you have it. That's me in a nutshell. Yeah, that's that's cool. I I uh, you answered that question really well as far as like how you get, you actually remembered the exact moment when that mm-hmm. when that triggered your mind. Like, okay, this is by teaching somebody and being you know that was something that was subconscious in your own mind, but it brought it to the front of it essentially. I think I needed to have I needed to see it from the instructor side of it, you know, because if you're just dealing with your own mind all the time, it's more difficult to analyze it. But now that I see it and I was able to teach it and that light bulb moment happened, man, now it's now shock control is easy. And I, I told the guy today, I was telling the house analogy, right? You're standing on the porch. If you don't make a decision, I'm going to shoot this shot with control, no matter what, when you hook up your release and you put your hand on that bow, that front door to the shock control house doesn't even open. But when you make that decision over and over and over to the point where it becomes a principle by which you live, when you step up on the porch, there isn't even a door there. It's already open, right? Yeah. It's like you blew it off with explosives. It's, there's no way I ain't stepping in that house. I'm not shooting any uncontrolled shots, right? Yeah. So, and then you know the floor plan of that house. You can navigate it so easily now. So I guess, so you kind of answered it there, but what, if you were to define target panic, how would you define that? So target panic is something that every human being is born with. It's not a disease that you get by thinking about your shot too much or anything like that. It's just the core problem in shooting. Your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. Simple Simple as that. Okay. Right. So that's why people punch the trigger because they're linking the trigger motor program with pre-ignition movements. They don't do that, you know, on purpose. That's just how we work. Like if I, you know, kicked you in the chest right now, you would catch yourself. 
right? That's target panic. You know impact's coming, so you have pre-ignition movements or pre-impact movements to catch yourself. It's the same thing when you press a trigger on a rifle or a pistol or a bow, especially with a bow, because your body is in tension and it wants to get you out of that tension. It wants to know when that bow is going to explode. It's a sudden release of energy. That's the definition of an explosion, right? So that's the core problem. And that's, that is target panic in, its, in a nutshell. It only comes to light in a few versions. Like when you're shooting a compound, it's either you can't put your pin on the target without punching the trigger. Or if you put your pin on the target, you can't work the trigger slowly. You punch it. Therefore, it's open loop. Therefore, it has pre-ignition movements linked to it. And you only get to a certain level of accuracy. And that's what I see most people, you know, a lot of people, especially on TV. My God, what is the matter with people on TV? Just, you know. Old rattlesnake in it. (laughs) I heard one guy on TV tell me or tell the world that this stabilizer that he was shooting that cured his target panic. That is the biggest pile of crap that I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. <laughs> well, you know, when I, when I had, um, when I felt like I went through the worst of my target panic, as far as like when I felt like I was completely falling apart, I couldn't get my pin up. I was always mm-hmm. stuck below and no. I was struggling. I was missing deer. I mean, but then it came, it started with, I was shooting good. Then I wasn't when it mattered. And then it became that I fell apart all the time. You know, I'd be at the range and I'd be shooting and just struggling getting it up on there like get it up and i just slam that trigger well i'm like oh my bow's too top heavy so you know i'm like (laughs) i'm putting you know i'm putting all these weights on the back of it and i'm doing all these things and i'm like i'm still holding low and at this point my bow weighs like 19 pounds because i got all this shit hanging off of it right, and right. and you know and i i wasn't thinking about it the right way and i was right. it and then the more frustrated i got the more i just kept thinking about not missing and that wasn't right. the right thing either no so i mean people people have they try to mechanically fix a mental problem and it usually goes the other way because your subconscious thinks you're doing well the more it can hold you off the target and okay, Bo, get ready and jump and punch, right? All yep. at the same time. I mean, you're only aiming for a microsecond, right? Yep. And you don't even see it. You don't even see the yip that you did or whatever. So people will start to weight their bow up so that they can, you know, if they are able to get their pin on the target, they'll weight their bow up so that their pin moves slower. Well, that's the worst thing you can do because the skill is not in the initial skill is not in hitting the target it's not not even in shooting the shot it's letting go of the aim and so if you are watching your pin move like let's say a vegas face right if you're watching your pin move and you can comprehend that the pin comes out into the nine ring if you can comprehend that then your bow is too heavy You want your pin to move fast enough that you cannot comprehend it. It just sits there and shakes, right? And when it just sits there and shakes, it's a hell of a lot easier to let it go, right? You got to close the door on the aiming room and just watch it through the window. You can't touch it. Visual proprioception tells us that we have no control over our aim. You just have to watch it like a picture, right? Yep. But 
because your aim meant so much to you and your conscious mind stayed in the aim, there's no way it's going to let you get there without punching the trigger. So approach, just changing the approach to it, draw back an aim, get it done, watch it to keep it, then making a decision to separate away from it. That, that decision, again, here I go is what I like to have people say. Here I go, closes the door on the aim and opens the door on the concentration room and allows you to get in there, right? Yep. No, it, it, it definitely does. And you've been talking about a couple different things that I think would be uh, good for you to define them, which is the mental control systems that you can be in the open loop and the closed loop systems and what what that exactly. You've said it, but can you kind of clearly define it for for anyone that's listening there? Because I think that was a huge, a huge learning lesson for me. Right. So open loop, can, there's two control systems that govern all of the movements in your mind. One is an open loop control system. That's where the brain sends a motor program to the effector. The effector is what catches the motor program. Like, is it, you know, what muscle group is it or whatever to do a certain movement? The problem with open loop control systems is number one, they're too fast for you to gain feedback. Like when you used to punch the trigger, when you sent that motor program, it was sent and it's so fast that you can't stop it in the middle of it. And if you can't stop it, that means that all kinds of other movements get sent through the same neural pathway, right? So it gets linked to all these other, you know, clinching your bow hand, closing your eyes, collapsing, all that stuff gets sent through the same, in the same neural pathway at the same time, right? So it all gets linked up and your mind loves it. Open loop control systems are used for swinging baseball bats throwing a baseball, shooting a basketball. Those are all movements that should not be interrupted, right? It's a single motor program. It's sent and it's, it's good, but precision shooting and precision trigger work is not open loop. It should be closed loop. Closed loop is a movement that's slow enough that you can gain feedback within it, slow enough that you could stop it anywhere within it. Right. So when you're working, when you're stretching that hand on that thumb button, as you do now, you're stretching your hand at a rate that you can gain feedback in it. You could stop it anywhere. Right. That's true control. And but getting into a closed loop control system when your mind doesn't like it and doesn't want to do that, it doesn't want the explosion to be a surprise. That's why getting into that closed loop control system takes such determination and decisions that make you present so that you can concentrate, right? All those four fundamentals of precision shooting. So open loop is fast, closed loop is slow. So you can make most things in your archery shot open loop. Like you setting your hand in the grip, that can be done fast. If it's wrong, you'll feel it that it's wrong and you'll just simply correct it. When you draw your bow back, that can be open loop, right? You getting into your anchor point, that can be open loop. But then once all that stuff happens and you get your aim done, that's when you have to stop and say, here I go. And that, again, separates separates all that open loop stuff and allows you to be present enough so that you can actually go closed loop on your trigger work. But again, your mind hates you for it. So you have to, you have to reconnect this this determination every 
single shot because your mind hates you for doing what you're doing. Yeah, it, do- you're it overriding, does. You're overriding your central nervous system every single time. So every time you shoot the shot and you step out the back door of the of the shot control house, you got to walk around to the front and the door's closed again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's just it's this revolving thing. You got to you got to step up on the porch again. Damn doors closed. Got to make a decision to get it open, right? Yeah. That, that that's so true. It's it's it, if you're not a hundred percent in it and determined that you're going to make that perfect shot, you will forget us. Even if you're like halfway there, you're not you're not mm-hmm. in it. You know, yeah. like when when you'd watch people walk up to the line at camp and we were uh, mm-hmm. shooting, you'd be like, as soon as they'd walk up and draw back, you're like, nope, already you didn't make the decision. Yeah. You didn't make yeah. the decision off the beginning. I can see it coming. They're stuck out on the porch, right? Yeah, they're sitting in the swinging chair on the porch. <laughs> I'm like, never got in the house, bro. You know what I mean? It happened. So I was at, at the Denver camp, and there was 31 dudes that stepped up and punched the trigger. Every single one of them. And I could there could have been a thousand people there, and I'd have watched a thousand people punch the trigger unless that particular person made decisions. Because people are nervous when they step up there, right? Because I'm messing with them. It's in front of the whole crowd. We were shooting a 60-yard antelope target that was placed in front of a giant metal Connex box. So if you missed, you're going to smoke your arrow, you know. And, uh, you know, I watched all these people punch a trigger. Not one of them stepped up there and paused before they drew their bow back. I want to get it over with. I want to get it over with. They're just... (laughs) They're just shooting from the porch, man. You got to get in the house. So that's that's the deal. It was, it was comical, but common. Yeah. I mean, it's it's only those folks that have really sat down and go, okay, how did I shoot? You know, they shoot that good shot. They go, how did I do that? And they ask themselves the questions of the blueprint. What was I thinking? What was I saying? Could I have stopped it? And what decisions did I make? I mean, the, that, the blueprint questions are money, man. If you, can, if you can answer those things, you are well on your way to shot control. Yep. It, it, yeah, that is that is interesting. And like when, all right, so if you're in a, a real world situation, whether that, you know, say you have an elk that comes in, he's coming in fast, you know, you did, you're, you're calling that cow and, uh, and he, he comes in and you go to, you you only you feel like you have this quick window. You're he's stopping. You got to do whatever. Mm-hmm. How how does that work in that time frame? Like, say you you think you have only a split second to make it happen. Explain that a little bit because I thought I thought you explained that really well. And that is the main thing is that you think you have a split second, not the critter, right? So these hurried situations are usually conjured up in the human mind. They're not conjured up in the mind of the critter, right? Yeah. So like when you make your stop sound to stop that big white-tailed buck that's walking by you and he stops, he'll stand there plenty long enough for you to shoot a controlled shot. But what you need to do with your controlled shot is you need to make your blueprint so strong, right? You know what you need to think. You know what you need to say. You know you could stop it if you really needed to. And you know what decisions you need to make. And when you need to make those decisions, you just have to get good at organizing it, right? You know, and and making it so your original decision, the one that opens the door to the house, I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what. 
Maybe you shorten that to no matter what. Or maybe you make it so strong that you don't have to make it anymore because you're not, there's no way in hell you're going to shoot an uncontrolled shot. You know what I mean? Yep. So you get better at the organization of it, but there is a certain speed at which your closed loop can travel. And that's the speed of movement that we're using on the trigger. So have I had critters walk out of my sight picture while I'm working through a trigger? Hell yes, I have. Not very many, but what's the alternative? You punch the trigger and miss or hit the critter where you don't want to? That's the alternative. And then shame on you because you did not control everything that you could have, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of poor shooting that goes on out there, especially on TV. I, it's just a nightmare to watch people do this stuff and not go out and seek the information. Like, I don't know if they think, well, it's good enough or what, but man, it makes for horrendous TV. But uh, yeah, but that's what, that's the boat that most people are in. Yeah. And, and I feel, I feel like, I mean, even though the information's out there, unless like someone's heard about you or anything that you're doing or talking about, I mean, otherwise, you know, I was, it was always just put into my head that it had to do with, I, you just did it. You just had to make a good shot. You had to be better, but there was never an explanation on how to necessarily get to that point. And right. yeah, the information's out there, but it's just like identifying that you need to find it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a human being and you shoot stuff, you should probably, yeah, we should probably have a chat, right? Yeah. And like, and, <laughs> so. and, and that brought me back to like with, with firearms. So like, when I I was under the impression I I don't shoot firearms a lot. My my brother's the gun guy. He's a gunsmith. He loves shooting. That's he's all about that. And I've always been a bow guy. I'm like, oh, when you know, I didn't fill my bow tag and needed to pick up the gun. I'm like, oh, she's just aiming to shoot, and that's mm -hmm. it. Well, I had I think I had told you this. I was like, I missed a a buck this past year. It like sixty yards with my rifle. I'm like. I'm like, well, I can't really find anything that makes me think that you know, I, it was screwed up by anything other than myself. And, right. you know, I I pulled up, thought I was in the right spot, blacked out, slammed yeah. that trigger and, right. <laughs> you know, and missed. And, and you know, because I, I was, wasn't thinking, I wasn't taking it across the board either. And, like, I focused so much on archery that didn't realize that this can be applied the whole way across the board and, you know, shame on me for it, but it's, it's being able to identify that and move forward. Right. I mean, so you don't do it again. Just analyze what happened, right? You, uh, you press the trigger as soon as you believe the aim was complete, right? So that was open loop. Yep. Therefore there's pre-ignition movements that are linked to that trigger motor program. You probably closed your eyes before you actually yanked the trigger. <laughs> And I mean, those are all pre-ignition movements, right? So yeah. it's that critical second. Imagine if we could just right now, Bo, if we could just get the world to allow their aim to not trigger the shot, but to trigger a decision. It would change the lives of everybody that shoots. If you just, as soon as you get your pin on, as soon as you get your crosshairs on, if you just work yourself through one second in time, and you fill that one second with, here I go, or let's do this, or something, right, that gets you, that's a decision. It makes you intensely present for the next job. So when you get in those super high stress events, 
you know, you might be all hopped up like crazy and you get them crosshairs on there and you're at least go, well, okay, here I go. Right. It's like this big slap in the face back to reality and reminds you of all the things that you still need to do to make that shot successful. So if I could just get people to do that, right. To just wait one second in time. Right. And that's why I have people say, here I go. Here I go takes one second to say, right? It gets you through that critical second and allows you to become present again for your job. Yeah, it it it, it is crazy. Like I, I remember again, I when I, I I did I won't say that I had it perfect, and I still don't probably now. But like when I was shooting my oak in 2019. That was like the year that I felt like I was getting up to it where I couldn't even shoot my bow. I ended up just going into my basement without anything on and just shooting it like two or three yards, just trying to get through the shot process and and talking myself through it. And when I got to that point where this is my first bull elk, you know, he's at 60 yards, he's um, my heart was going just beating out of my chest. My pin was going back and forth so fast. I was like uh, this, you know, I just, it was just going back and forth. But as I was going through that process, I, I remember saying to myself, pull, pull, pull. And at the, you know, at the same speed, but elevating kind of the tone mm-hmm. in, in sure. my head. And, sure. and I had a camera guy literally right over my shoulder and it was on, he had his, uh, camera on slow motion so you could really see my pin you know going mm-hmm. up but but it just you could see that shot broke and it was a complete surprise and uh-huh. it went and it went you know right through the double lung and the bull ran out and and he fell over another 60 yards from there and it was just like the most satisfying feeling like after struggling with that for for so long to to mm-hmm. feel good about it and you know, and even, like I said, even at that time, I feel like I didn't fully grasp what I was doing, but it was a step in the right direction. Right. And it's, you did it, but you didn't analyze how you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Therefore, you're destined to fail again because you don't even know what the blueprint was for that awesomely controlled shot that you shot on the critter. And that's where I was. I shot my first real controlled shot with a stick bow on a critter in 2008. 2010, I did another one, but it wasn't until 2014 that I actually analyzed those two shots years later, right? Years later, because, but because those shots were so conscious, I knew everything that I did. I realized I said this at this moment. I said this at this moment. I said this at this moment. And then I friggin' screamed myself through that movement at the end. And then I went, you know, ding, 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 light bulbs are going off. And I'm like, I'm doing that for the rest of my life. And I have, you know, once 2015 hit, man, I was, I'm in control. I'm, I will always be in control. There's no question in my mind how I'm shooting every shot for the rest of my life because I shoot like 200 arrows a day, 200 controlled arrows a day. I practice my success. I do not practice my failure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and w- to be able to practice, like to really feel like you understand it, to be able to practice, it seems for me anyways, when you practice under that pressure in some sorts, like when Dan had us running back and forth from the, mm-hmm. the targets and get there and 
he's over the back and he's shoving his cell phone in my face with his camera on. And then, you know, you have all these other guys stand there next to you and you're racing against the guy there and a steel target around the, around the vitals was the only thing I was open. You know, when I drew back again, I was out of breath. I had all these things going on, but to be able to, every time you say one of those things at that critical moment, it, mm-hmm. it kind of resets you and you might start to fade a little bit and then you, you get back, mm-hmm. get back on it and be able to, to, to do it. And it's, it's really, it's really one of the most satisfying feelings. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you because it was like, man, this is something that can t- change anybody's lives. How many, how much work, do, you know, say, most of my listeners are from the East, you know, and they're planning these Western hunts and stuff. You work all year, you're doing your e-scouting, you're doing your training for fitness side, shooting your bow, doing all these things to get ready for that one week that you're taking off of work away from your families, whatever it is. And you have that one moment that you have one chance to, to make it happen and you blow it. Well, that's I don't that doesn't sit well with me. No, it shouldn't sit well with anybody. No. Right? And you know, they get their they get their bows out a couple months before season and they shoot. They might as well not shoot because they're practicing their own failure. It's not going to be good anyways. When you gain control of your shot, you only need to shoot enough to make the decision strong enough to where they become principles. Right? Like, I don't have to step up to the line and go, okay, I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what, because that's a principle by which I live. It's just, I'm doing that. That's my only option, right? And then half draw moment, I'm going to do this right. Whatever you want to say at half draw, that's a principle by which I live because I am going to do it right. Now, I'm not always going to hit the 10 ring, obviously, but I'm going to control everything that I can in my mind. Yeah. And then finally, the most important one is that critical second. After you've aimed, after you've set your finger on the trigger, here I go, right? I'm, uh, that one, I wouldn't recommend that you put that one too deep in the toolbox. It's got to always be in the toolbox, but it should be toward the top because here I go being the most important decision I feel. It's, uh, I mean, you're going to use that in a high-stress event. I've used it in some very high stress events, right? Yeah. So uh, it's not just just talk. It's it's a decision to do a movement that's going to cause your body impact, and that is completely against human nature, right? So it's uh, it's such a cool and powerful thing to know that, and to know that when you go on that hunt that costs you, you know, months of your life and thousands of dollars, you know how you're going to control your shop. Cause why wouldn't you? Yep. You know, you know exactly how you're going to do it. So, but you got to use, you got to find as much stress as you can so that you get better reps, right? Like if I'd have jumped out of that river and then shot my bow, of course, I probably couldn't even pull it back because my thumb was so damn cold, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I've done snow baths and then jump up and shoot an arrow and find as much stress as you can. So you get better reps because what you're trying to get reps in is concentration practice reps in decision-making reps in letting the aim go. So one of the good things for your listeners to do is to take all the stabilizers off their bow and shoot on one foot because you get so many reps 
in bringing your mind back to where it needs to be because your mind's going to go from your balance to your sight movement. Oh my God, that thing's everywhere. Wait a minute. I don't need to think about that. Bring it back to the release movement, right? No, I'm going to fall over again, right? Oh my God, my sights are everywhere. Nope. Bringing it back to the release movement. So you get tons of reps in one shot, right? And you get reps in the true skills of precision shooting. Yeah, that's... (laughs) That's funny. I like I like the method of shooting off of one foot. That's gonna be tough for me because I'm very unstable as it is. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, even better, you'll get an even stronger rep. Exactly. You know? And this is not this is not for just you know you know beginner level people. I mean, I've taught this to to professional archers, and they thought I was crazy. Like, you want me to do what? I'm like, take all your stabilizers off your bow and shoot on one foot and it's those those pros that have that have trouble letting go of the aim that's a great drill because they get reps and going because the pins moving so much they're finally go well who knows where the hell this is going to hit and then and only then do they finally sub basically submit to the fact that they have no control over their aim and the only thing they can control is the release movement right yeah and and you've you've trained some pretty high profile people as far as in the archery world and everything. I bet that would, that's tough from their standpoint to kind of let go of what they think they know and listen. (laughs) It is. And those that, you know, but some of them, I won't say all of them, but some of them are, are smart enough and humble enough to go, okay, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to listen to you because it's very easy for me to speak to, there are problems because I went through all that stuff too. Yep. And they're, I mean, they're very successful archers, but they don't win all their tournaments and they have these good days and bad days still. And they're all scared to death of my son who's 14 years old and is going to, you know, destroy, <laughs> destroy the professional archer world because he shoots the same controlled arrow every single time. And so they, I mean, they know he's coming, so they're going to have to do something, right? They yeah. have to up their they're going to have to up their mental game. That's just the way it is, right? So. Interesting. Is your is your son uh shooting competitively now? Oh yeah, in fact, he's probably going pro next year, so Really? Yeah, he he's just turned 4 well, he turned 14 in February. He won the Rushmore Rumble in the young adult category and, you know, shoot offs in front of all the pros and all the people and all that stuff. And people are like, oh, my God, you know, his, his name is Bodie Turner and it's Bodie Hunter Turner. So he's Bo Hunter Turner for short. But uh, <laughs> so that's how that's how we got that name. But uh, so anyway, <laughs> he when he's shooting in these shoot offs, like, oh, my God, Bodie looks so calm and all this stuff. But he's not. He has the same nerves as everybody else, but he has this toolbox that is very deep with mental tools, right? He is, when he's moving his release, he's screaming to himself to keep it rolling. The only advice I ever give Bodie for high stress shooting events is keep it moving because I know his visual proprioception is going to bring the pin back to the middle, no matter how much it's shaken, Right. But if he, if the release movement stops, that means your conscious mind left it and it went somewhere else, right? So if you notice that you're, because you're moving closed loop and you notice an error, 
then give it another here I go, right? Give it another here I go. And that's the giant reset button. And so, I mean, he's got the same nerves as everybody else, but he's got these mental tools because he's heard me say it so many times. And I didn't sit Bodie down and say, okay, these are open and closed loop control systems and all that stuff. He didn't need to know that at three years old. He just needed to know that you're not allowed to let the arrow go until that thing clicks on your bow or whatever it was, whatever system we were shooting. I mean, he was shooting a tension activated release at three years old because at three, he started punching the trigger on an index finger trigger when I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. So, but, you know, not allowing him to shoot shots that, that weren't perfectly controlled is where we went. And, you know, when he's two and a half, three or four year, five years old, he's not mature enough to know the difference between all this stuff. I'm just, I would hand him a certain release and say, okay, this is how it works. Knowing that that tension activated release made decisions for him. Right. Cause nothing happens until after you take the safety off and nothing happens unless you pull. Right. Yep. So that's what I hate to see though, is, is adults get into tension activated releases and then have to stay there because you're not getting reps in making decisions because the release makes the decisions for you. You see what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I'm following. And, yeah. and so, you know, you push the safety and you draw back, you aim, and then you let the safety off. And that's, you know, it's just making the decisions for you. So you're stuck shooting tension activated releases, which is not the most accurate release. If it was, every pro would shoot them. But the problem is like we were talking about before and moving the head of the release. Yeah. You can't make that thing go off without moving the head of the release. So therefore it's not the most accurate thing out there. But if you're having trouble making decisions, I will use one in a clinic shots. I'll probably set it so hard. Well, it'll never go off. Right. So I get to see where people's fail point is because they'll be pulling. They're not pulling very hard. They start pulling, then they give it a big old yank to try to make it go off. And that's the subconscious just giving up on it or your conscious mind giving up on it and handing it to the subconscious. Yep. And then I, and then I blueprint that. Okay. What were you thinking about? Well, I was thinking about pulling and then I thought, God, when is this thing going to go off? And that's the exact moment that they gave it the big yank. Right. So then once I get them to pull and stay in it and there's no yanks in it, then, but it doesn't go off still, push the safety back in, let it down. And then they're on the same questions. What were you thinking? God, I was just thinking about pulling. What were you saying? I was saying, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. Could you have stopped it? Yeah, I could have stopped it anywhere. What decisions did you make? I decided to keep pulling no matter what, right? Yeah. So now we start into the blueprint and then, and only then can I give them a different release. And then once they start to apply that same science to the other releases, then it's just, you can shoot anything you want. Interesting. And then that applies. I mean, if you have that mind to any weapon, anything else that, that you're doing, do you, do you see anything with your own self? Like when you analyze your own self, do you ever fall apart at all in your system? Do you ever have those days or moments or no matter what, it's just happening? I I used to, but I mean, back in, in those, in those years, 2008 to 2014, there was, I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know if I was going to get through my clicker on this particular shot, or I didn't know if I was going to, or wasn't going to, I, there was wonder when I drew my bow back. I was, I was wondering, 
how it was going to go. And it wasn't until that, that day in 2014 when I'm like, I know exactly how to do it. Why, why don't I just do this every single time? And the more that I research and the more that I teach, you know, finding those fail points, my determination is super high because being a police sniper, I don't have the option of missing. Yeah. Right. So my determination well is very deep and I know where it's at. Right. And I've had to go dig into it before. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, my determination is very high and that's where I find a lot of people. And that's a, it's a personality thing as well. Cause I've been a determined person my whole life as many people have, but nobody knew what to do with it. Nobody knew they, they would turn frustration and anger into determination but they would never take the determination and use it to make decisions. They would just practice their own failures. Right. They just keep getting more and more and more pissed off until some fateful moment when they go, I ain't doing it like this anymore. You know, some people quit archery. Others like me go, I ain't doing it like this anymore. And you change how you do it. No matter what. Right. So no, I don't find myself failing in my shot process ever no way no how and i know that's a that's a big bold statement people are like oh there's no way you could do that well i don't know challenge me <laughs> yeah i'm not going to do it i'm that doesn't mean that i'm going to hit the x every time but that means i'm getting through like on my stick bow i'm getting through my mechanoreceptive trigger no matter what if i was shooting a compound i'm working that trigger with a closed loop control system no matter what i don't care who you are how big the critter is i've had monsters walk out of my sight picture before. And I, I left with a smile on my face and people are like, that's, that's crazy. Right. But I have a whole barn full of antlers of critters that I've killed with uncontrolled shots. They're in the barn. The ones in the house are the only ones that I've killed with controlled shots. You don't make it into the house of shock control, right? <laughs> the Turner house, you don't make it into the house without, <laughs> without a controlled shot. Right. So now I'm able to put critters in the house and you know, my, some of my wife likes and some, she doesn't. I was like just going to say, right? just, uh, that's you know, funny. but I mean, my wife shoots controlled shots. My son shoots controlled shots. We're just, that's the way we live. That's what we're going to do. And, you know, I'm not saying that if a bull walks by me at three yards, am I going to get through my mechanoceptive trigger? No, I'm not because that's not what the environment needs i need to get this shot off right at three yards if it's walking if it's a moving target i have to know when my bow is going to go off am i going to have pre-ignition movement center yep but it's three yards right i'm going to be able to stick it through his lungs if it's a running rabbit i'm not getting through a mechanoreceptive trigger on a running rabbit if it's a flying pheasant that's not the environment right it's same thing in in you know pistols and gunfighting and stuff I'm not going to press a trigger perfectly if I get in a gunfight at seven feet. Yeah. That's not the environment for that. But if that same bad guy is 40 yards away, if I don't go close loop on the trigger, I'm, I know I'll never hit him. And I don't have the option of slinging 15 rounds downrange, right? Yep. I have to be able to control my business. I mean, you hear about gunfights all the time with cops that are, if the gunfights past 15 yards, ain't nobody going to get hit. I mean, 
they just shoot and shoot and shoot and bad guys shoot and shoot and nobody gets hit. Woo, boy, that was a dandy. We got lucky on that one, right? <laughs> so, I mean, we, we've been having a lot of shootings up here in Washington, and it's, it's bad news, man. But, uh, you know, like they had one the other day where the cops set up this thing, at, and it was like 20 to 25 yards away from the bad guy. He steps out with a pistol. Well, you have to know that you're going to go open loop on the trigger in that particular situation, but you're outside of your open loop effective range, right? So what do you do? You got to change weapon systems, right? That's when we take our rifles to gunfights and such. But anyways, that's kind of off topic, but that's, that's the way all this stuff runs. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to recognize your environment that you're in. If you can go open loop because it's super close and it's moving, then yeah, do it. But if it's standing there, you know, especially if it's a target and not a live critter, why in the hell would you ever punch the trigger on that? It ain't going anywhere. You know, there's not necessarily a massive time limit on you. So, you know, but if that, if that critter standing out there at 30 yards and it's stationary, treat it as a closed loop environment, do your job, control what you can. And because the critters deserve that, I think. Yeah. yeah I think I, I agree with that 100%. And yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be, like I said, taking it into my other avenues, not just, you know, bow hunting. I'm going to be turkey hunting here in a couple of weeks and, and going to that with the shotgun, same thing, mm-hmm. making sure I'm shooting a controlled, controlled shot and the whole way across the board and even, yeah, pistol shooting, everything else. Yeah. Now shotguns are a little bit different. Like if the target's moving, it's open loop on the trigger. Yeah. Right? You're going to have pre-ignition movements that are in there, but it's a shotgun. That's why you have a pattern to deal with. Right. But if it's, you know, if you, if you want to take a precision shot, like if that gobbler's at full strut and you can, you know, burn him that way, then yeah, put that bead on it, put that red on it, however you're working. And if you can work yourself through a shotgun trigger, knowing that you got a three and a half inch <laughs> nuclear magnum round in that shotgun that, that kicks more than a 500 nitro express does. Right. Yeah. Then you're doing something right. Good on you for some concentration practice with that, man. But if that thing pokes his head up and starts bobbing away, just open loop his ass, man. <laughs> make sure that you make sure that you aim first right yeah it's open loop doesn't mean you're not going to aim first yeah <laughs> that's that's funny and i i have a i have a problem with shotguns i had an old um 1890s 12 gauge blow up on me or Ooh. and um it what happened was i was running through the, the action there quickly and i didn't close it all the way before i pulled the trigger on the next round and those ones didn't have it where it would still fire at that that point it was probably a model 1897 did it have a was it a pump shotgun yeah yeah did it have a hammer on it it did yeah that's a probably a model 97 that they're notorious for open breach detonation oh yeah it was it's hanging on the camp wall my no so it knocked me down knocked me out i had metal shavings in my eye and all this (laughs) stuff and i was there with my my grandfather and my brother and they're both on instead i'm laying on the ground and they're making sure the gun's okay they're like oh no (laughs) our gun's gone you know I was, well, I guess you saw where you rated. Yeah, they're like every time we're at camp, it's sitting up on the 
the wall underneath these uh underneath this whitetail antlers and and uh every time we're over there like yeah that used to be our favorite gun to shoot until uh until you screwed that up for us i'm like i went to get lasik eye surgery and they're like did you ever have any like you have some like rust in your eyes i'm like "Ah, i I don't remember anything and i'm like oh yeah i had a gun blow up on me and they're like how do you forget that it's like "Uh, (laughs) i don't know Uh, yeah. So yeah, get in, climb in on that shotgun, and uh, if he's stationary, then you do your job. If he's not, then just burn him down, buddy. Just burn him down. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, Joel, thank you so much for for coming on here. And yeah, so buddy. If, pe- if people want to find out, you know, more about your stuff here, and you really dive into, you have a bunch of. Well, you have what three different courses on your website. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've do uh, shotiq.com and I do control process shooting. There's an archery course. There's also a precision pistol course. I've got another course on there that's not actually me, but it's use of force, uh, justifiable use of force and such with a buddy of mine. But, uh, you know, those two shooting courses, we go into the whole science of the mind. It's not, I, I keep it fairly simple, right, but very impactful. And it is a very thoughtful course and you, it's very thought provoking and it will change how you approach the house, right? The old house of shot control, it will change how you approach your shot and it, it, you know, going through the whole science. And then we go through, we have a whole traditional track for all the traditional archers out there. We, we talk about mechanoreceptive triggers and triggerless shooting and how to run them and what happens in your mind. Then we have the whole compound track where you're dealing with, I talk about all the different types of releases, how to run them and, you know, how to gain mental control of that. We talk about how to practice. We talk about decision sequencing, blueprinting, all that stuff. I mean, you come out of that thing with a, with control and knowing exactly how you did it. And it is very powerful information. So. Awesome. So shotiq.com and then is there anywhere else you can find your stuff you're talking about? You posted something earlier. What's your yeah, Instagram is Joel Turner underscore shot IQ. Give me a follow there. And uh, Facebook is the same. And there's a shot IQ page and a Joel Turner page and however you like it, man, it's I'm all over social media. You're, so it's, you're all over it. Yeah. You, don't, you don't picture me as a guy that would like to be on social media, but you're definitely, you're all over it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's a way to reach people. It's obviously yeah. the best way to reach people. And I think this message is so friggin' important that, I mean, it just drives me insane to watch people shoot with target panic and have frustration. And that's where I was. And that's why I can speak intelligently to it. I mean, I used to hold five feet off of a target and then just dump my bow and let it go all at the same time. It was a freaking nightmare, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been there. I've, I've experienced every form of target panic known to mankind. And there is a very simple, not easy, but simple way to fix this stuff. And it's not something that takes six months or a year. It takes one shot for you to, you know, be determined enough to make the decisions so that you're present, so that you can actually concentrate you shoot that perfect shot and then you blueprint it. And then you use the next shot to make the blueprint stronger and the next shot and the next shot to the point where the decisions become principles by which you live. And 
then the world is yours, man. You can go conquer anything you want. You can even go jump in a freezing cold river with no problem. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to say with no clothes on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I only had shorts on this morning. Check out the post, folks. <laughs> I will. <laughs> oh, all right, Joel. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, yep. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bo. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.